Yeah, morning everyone. Um, I get the privilege of kicking off our new series with you where we will be exploring the book of Malachi. And you may be thinking, Malachi, why Malachi? Right? That seems a bit random, a bit obscure. Why not a more familiar book? Um, and you're right. It isn't one of the most commonly read books of the Bible. But over the last four weeks or so, we have been exploring the value of the Bible for our lives and how all of it, all of the Bible, is valuable for our lives. And now we have the opportunity to see the truth of the Bible is series play out in a tangible way by making our way through an entire book of the Bible. And we believe because all of the Bible is valuable for our lives, even a lesser-known book like the book of Malachi has so much depth and richness for us to know and to apply to our lives. However, even though seeing that the Bible is valuable for our life uh, is a great benefit of exploring the book of Malachi, it's not the main reason why we're exploring the book of Malachi. The primary purpose of going through Malachi is the content of the book itself. You see, the faithfulness of God is a continuous theme throughout the book of Malachi, and it's something we want to explore and focus on over the next six, six weeks as we make our way through the book. You know, throughout this year, um, our teaching has challenged us in many ways and called us to a lot. At the start of the year, the elders, they uh, posed three questions for us to consider this year. Who am I receiving meaningful spiritual input from and who am I giving it to? Who am I sharing the love of Jesus with and how am I serving? And, you know, they pose these three questions to us because they believe if we act upon these three questions, we will be genuinely living out our dream, which is to be a community of people fully committed to following Jesus, actively sharing his love and serving others. And so this year we've been working hard to do exactly right and equip ourselves, um, do exactly that right, and, and to equip ourselves to take opportunities to carry out those three questions. We've had teaching series um, like Kayarahi and the mentoring framework that launched alongside that to allow us to spiritually input into others. Uh, we've had series such as The Good News to clarify what the good news of Jesus is so we can be more confident in sharing it with others. We've, been, we've had opportunities to be equipped for that, like we had our Equip series at Night Church, and we had things like a guy named Scott Mackay come and do a, a series on how to read the Bible one-to-one -one with other people, and so that was a way to equip us with sharing the good news of Jesus with others and inputting into them. Uh, we had another Alpha course, which gave us the opportunity to introduce people to faith and what it is we believe. Uh, we've had series like The Cost, which sort of enveloped question two and three, right, um, making us consider what it really means to follow Jesus and that it does cost us in some way to follow him. As well as series like Here I Am, Send Me, right? We're ready to go. We're prepared to go where God leads us. And then things like the All In Night, which are coming up, which is just a great opportunity to celebrate those who serve in our community. And so as a community, we strive to live out our dream and we push ourselves to be more like Jesus because we want more people to know his good news, that he saves and that he is good. But the thing is, we aren't doing that to earn God's approval or um, acceptance of us, right? We already graciously received that when we became followers of him. And so it's good to push ourselves to be more like Jesus and to, to live out our dream, which we believe will help us accomplish that. But it's also to, important to remind ourselves of why we do it and who, G, and who God is amongst it. And so as the end of the year approaches and we, we're getting ready to wrap things up, Let's just spend some time reminding ourselves of God's goodness and continual faithfulness to us. 
We look forward to the ways that we're going to challenge ourselves next year and push ourselves to be more like Jesus next year. Um, But for now, let's just rest in the reminder of who God is amongst all that. Because as we'll see in Malachi, that's who God consistently is, continuously faithful, even in times when his people are not. But to be honest, at face value, Malachi uh, may not come across as a book about being about God's faithfulness. In fact, at first glance, Malachi might come across as quite a harsh book full of judgment. And while judgment is a characteristic of the book, we reckon what will also be clear to us as we dive deeper into the book is God's continual love and faithfulness. And we'll see that uh, through the way, uh, we'll see that being the reason why God says the things that he says and does the things that he does throughout the book. And so throughout the book, we're going to frequently see God declaring his love for his people, calling them back, calling him, uh, them back to himself, and a willingness to work within the messes that they had made. And so it's an excellent book. It's an incredible book, and uh, I'm really excited about exploring it with you over the next little while. But because Malachi is quite an unfamiliar book, uh, it's probably good to first of all set the scene of when and why this book was written and what it's all about. And so the Bible Project, they explain it like this. They say Malachi was a prophet who lived about 100 years after the Israelites had returned from living in exile in Babylon. And his message is directed to the people who had been living in Jerusalem since they returned. At this point in time, the city, the temple, the walls had now been rebuilt for quite a while. But unfortunately, things weren't going very well. They weren't going as everyone had hoped. When the Israelites had first returned from exile, their hopes were high, and they imagined that they would rebuild their lives in the temple, and all the great promises of the prophets would come true, and that the Messiah would come, and he would set up his kingdom over a unified Israel and over the other nations, and he would bring about peace and justice. Unfortunately, though, none of those things had happened yet, and the Israelites who repopulated the city of Jerusalem ended up being just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors that ended up getting them exiled in the first place. And so as a result, Jerusalem, it becomes a place of poverty and injustice once again. And in the book of Malachi, we find out just how corrupt these people have become. And so the book of Malachi is set up as a series of disputes or arguments. Most sections begin with God saying something or accusing the the Israelites of something. And this is followed by the Israelites disagreeing or questioning God's statement. And then finally, God will respond with a final word. And this pattern repeats itself six times over. And so the overall impression you get from reading these disputes is that the exile didn't fundamentally change anything in the people. Their hearts are still the same. Their hearts are as hard hard as they've ever been. However, amongst that, God is still patient. He is kind. He is loving. He is good. He is faithful. Far more than the Israelites have done to deserve. And in fact, we actually see that right in the opening of the book. And so if you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And the very first thing that God has to say to the people speaks exactly to that. Look at this very first statement of God. It says this, it says, This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. I have always loved you. You know, I, I know we've only just got started, but I want us to just stop here for a moment. Because what an incredible, powerful, beautiful statement of God. You know, we we often like to talk and sing about God's love, and so it's probably not a concept that is unfamiliar to us. 
but I think there's something so significant about the way God says this here to the Israelites. You know, in, in many places throughout the Bible, uh, we are told of God's love for us in places like 1 John 3, 1, or Romans 5, 8, or John 3, 16, just to name a few. But I think what's really special about this verse specifically is it isn't just God. Is it, it isn't just about God's love for his people. It's actually God's very own words from his mouth. I have always loved you. And of course, we, we do need to recognize that these words are spoken specifically to the people of Israel. But because of Jesus, we who are not Israelites, we who are not Jews, have been adopted into God's redemptive story. And because of God's consistent character, we can be confident that God feels and thinks the exact same way about us. And so let's just let that soak in for a moment. That when God's opening remark to the Israelites is, I have always loved you, that those words would also be his opening remarks to you. I've always loved you. In fact, let's even just stop for a moment. Let's just have a quick chat with the person next to us. When you hear that phrase, I have always loved you, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to you? What comes to your mind to hear that God feels that way about you? Does it bring up any particular thoughts or feelings or memories? You know, this is quite a significant statement made by God himself. So let's just take some time to, to dwell on that and have a chat with the person next to us. And if you're watching online, have a chat with the person you're watching with. Or if you're watching alone, feel free to leave a comment in the comment sections. But let's just take a moment. Just let's let that soak in. What does it stir within you to hear that God has always loved you? Let's have a chat. Pretty significant, eh? 
And so, in fact, before uh, we move on any further throughout the passage, uh, let, me just, let me just pray that over you, that through our time together this morning, you would continuously hear that through His Spirit. And if you have never uh, thought or believed that before, that this morning you would come to know that for yourself. So let's just pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your love, so grateful for your continual love, so grateful for the fact that, um, as we're going to see in the book of Malachi, you've got a lot of things uh, to talk through with Israelites, but the first thing you want them to know is that you love them. And I'm I'm so grateful that um, you have adopted us into that as well and that you feel the same way about us. I pray as we spend time together this morning, Lord, uh, that you would just reveal that to us. If there's anybody here where that's hard to believe, it's hard to know because of personal experiences or things that they've been through, I pray that your love would just overwhelm those doubts, overwhelm um, those, those questions that make it hard to believe, Lord, and it would just be so present, so evident, so clear as we spend time together with you this morning. So we give this time to you, Lord. We ask for you to be in it. We ask for your love to just be so apparent as we make our way through your word. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And hey, um, yeah, feel free to continue to discuss that question as well. Um, we've got discussion guides that go with the series, um, and there are questions related to these things in there as well. So your connect groups or wherever, it's a great place to explore those questions together and discuss them further. Because obviously that was just a short amount of time, so you may want some more time to think it through. And so, you know, God, he, he opens up by declaring, I have always loved you. And how do the Israelites respond? They say, really? How have you loved us? How have you loved us? Man, rough, rough, you know? One of the few places in the scriptures where God specifically says with his own words, I love you, and this is the response he receives. You know, I'm not a parent of teenagers yet, but I imagine if you are, then you might sort of understand this a bit more, this feeling that God might have felt. But man, you know, just after taking some time to consider how significant God's statement is, this reply is a definite blow, right? It's pretty deflating. It's, it's a sad thing to read. But I also don't want to take the high road and be like, how could you, Israel? How could you say something like this? How could you think something like this? Because there have definitely been times where, though I may not have worded it like that, I have questioned or I have wondered about God's love. And I reckon many of us have in some way, whether it was during a time of, of illness or financial hardship or the breakdown of a relationship or the rebellion of a family member, or a time of just feeling lost and stuck. I think it's a normal part of the human experience to at times think and wonder, why, God? Why? What is going on here? And and just feel a little uncertain about God's character and feel a little shaky. And, you know, as I've shared in the past... um, when our oldest son, Ash, was first born, he, he was diagnosed with colic, and it was exhausting. And for the first six months of his life or so, he would just scream and scream, and, um, and we would pray every day and ask God to heal. And, you know, when you're amongst something like that, it just feels way longer than it is, and it's pretty tiring. And I remember thinking at times, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing? You know, answer our prayers. Why would you not? Like, if you're a good God, why would you let this go on? It doesn't really make any sense. Um, And we can probably all think of a time where we have felt something like that, where we have experienced something like that. And as we'll come to see in the chapters to follow, uh, the reason the Israelites are thinking and feeling this way is because their society has been overrun with poverty and injustice. And though God will point out that it's actually the actions of many of the Israelites that has brought about this poverty and injustice, unfortunately, the actions and sins of those involved 
didn't often just affect those who were involved, and others often bore the brunt of this poverty and justice, especially the marginalized in society. And so for many of the Israelites, they are probably feeling hurt and confused and wondering, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing this to go on? For some, their question is coming from a genuine place of hurt and confusion. And so God declares that he loves the people, and they say, how? How? And, and I'm not looking to justify the Israelites' questioning of God's love. It's truly unfortunate and a misunderstanding of their circumstances and the reason for them. But I point this out because I believe God understands where the question is truly coming from. As we'll see in a moment, God doesn't respond harshly here and say, how dare you ask such a question? Who do you think you are? All I have done is loved you and you have ignored me and your society is collapsing as a result. That's no, it's not how God responds at all. He actually responds to the Israelites' question and he explains how he has loved them. And I think his response just speaks even further to the incredible character of God. Because as we'll see in the weeks to come, God has every good reason to totally shut this response down and put the Israelites in their place um, due to their collective behavior, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. In the weeks to come, he will speak to their systemic issues. He will warn them of the serious consequences of their actions. But amongst it, we will also see God's continual willingness to reach out to them, to work with them, and to understand them. And so before we read God's responses, it is somewhat complex. What I want you to know, as well as that God has always loved you, is that he understands you. He understands you. If you are in a place right now where you are hurting, where you are confused, where you have been waiting, where you are um, finding it hard to believe the truth that God loves you and he always has, what I want you to know is that God sees that, he hears that, and he understands that. You know, when Jesus saw a crowd of, of hurt and broken people, we are told that he was moved with compassion for them. Moved with compassion. You know, God's expectation of you is not, hey, pull your head and shut up and, and follow me. No, he is a God who deeply cares for us, who sympathizes with us and understands us. And so it's okay to hurt. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to have questions. God is not a God who's looking to strike us down if we do. And it's not what he does here in response to the Israelites either. And so God says, I have always loved you. And the people say, how have you loved us? And God responds with this. This is what he says. He says, and the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. Esau's descendants in Edom may say, we have been shattered, but we will um, rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of heaven's armies replies, They may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. Their country will be known as the land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people of whom the Lord is forever angry. When you see the destruction for yourselves, you will say, Truly the Lord's greatness reaches far beyond Israel's borders. Now I recognize that initially you may be thinking, That's not really the response I was expecting. Uh, you know, this is supposed to be a good thing. It sounds more like God unreasonably destroying another nation instead of punishing Israel. You know, cool for Israel, but now I've got bigger questions about the way God goes about things. This just sounds unfair. It sounds unreasonable. It's not really good proof of God's love. It looks more like favoritism. But there's a lot more going on in the background between God and the Edomites. Their relationship has been a long and complicated one. 
And so I don't want to bog us down in all the details for too long and distract from the rest of what is being said in, the, in today's passage, but I'll just take a moment to try to fill in some gaps and, and help us understand what's going on here. You see, Israel and Edom, they can trace their heritage back to Abraham, as Abraham's son had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And it's Jacob's descendants that become the nation of Israel, and Esau's descendants that become the nation of Edom. And in early Israelite culture, it was the responsibility of the oldest son to take on caring for leading the whole family, extended family, servants, everything. It was all their responsibility. And usually the family would actually operate almost like a little village in itself. There could be up to like 100, 200, 300 people in a family unit made up of actual family members and other people um, just amongst the community as well. And so they would operate like a little village, and that would mean like raising livestock, growing food and grains, making and selling things. And so it would become the oldest son's responsibility to oversee the entire operation. And so they would need to sustainably direct the whole family's livelihood and care for everybody's well-being. But the inheritance of Jacob and Esau was even more significant than that because God himself had made a covenant with their grandfather Abraham that he would make Abraham's descendants into a great nation that would be blessed. And so though Esau and Jacob are twins, Esau is technically the oldest and the birthright would be his. It would be his responsibility. But in their story... Esau shows total disregard for his birthright, and he gives it away to his brother Jacob for a bowl of stew after coming back from a hunting trip. And right from the start, God knew Esau would show this disregard for his birthright. And so from the start, God says, I'm going to give it to Jacob. But Esau's father, Isaac, he's determined to give it to Esau anyway, despite what God had said and despite the fact that Esau had technically given it away to his brother. Anyway, through a bit of a devious plan, Jacob manages to receive the blessing from his father Isaac to secure that birthright for himself. Um, and so that's what happens. And we could then think, okay, but that doesn't mean that God then needs to unnecessarily be mean to Edom, right? Like that doesn't really add up. But as Jacob and Esau's descendants go their separate ways, the Edomites choose to continuously be adversarial to the Israelites. Way back in the beginning of Israel's history, God told the Israelites to respect the Edomites. He says, do not despise an Edomite, for the Edomites are, rel are related to you. But the Edomites, they don't reciprocate. Uh, for example, as the Israelites made their, way through, um, way out, made their way out of Egyptian captivity towards the Promised Land, there's this event that takes place It says this in Numbers. It says, while Moses was at Kadesh, he sent amb ambassadors to the king of Edom with this message. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel, say. You know all the hardships we have been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt, and we lived there a long time. And we and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards, and we won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. But the king of Edom said, Stay out of my land, or I will meet you with an army. The Israelites answered, We will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we will pay for it. Just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. But the king of Edom replied, Stay out. You may not pass through our land. With that, he mobilized his army, and he marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through the country, Israel was forced to turn around. 
And then hundreds of years later, after Israel splits into two countries and eventually both countries succumb to defeat by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, we're told that the Edomites rejoice and they make, they make most of the defeat. We're told um, in Psalms, the psalmist says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on that day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. And so we see right across the scriptures that the Edomites are stoked and they celebrate the defeat of their relatives and they make life hard for their relatives as often as they can. And so what is going on here is not God favoring the Israelites over the Edomites. In fact, God dealt with the continuous inappropriate behavior of Israel long before Edom, allowing them to be defeated and taken into captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians for a time. And so what God is saying is, look, I have seen how Edom has treated you throughout history, and it won't go without consequence. I will deal with it. I am a just God who loves you, and so there has been consequences for Edom's injustice, and there will be more. You know, one of the reasons the Israelites felt they could accuse God of not loving them is the fact that the Edomites had continuously got away with mistreating the Israelites, but God says they won't. He says they're not going to. And you know, in a room of this size, there will be plenty of people who have seen horrendous injustice in their life, whether it's abuse of some kind, or racism, or sexism, or mistreatment and manipulation from a leader or an employer, or unfair treatment or prejudice of, of another kind. You know, there will be those of you who have experienced injustice that has yet to be resolved. And that is truly awful. It's truly awful. It really is. And, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. You know, you didn't deserve that, and, and I want you to hear that, that you didn't. But what I also want you to know is that God sees it, and he will do something about it. It's not always probably in the time frame that we would prefer. We would much rather see instant justice, and we feel like that would be you know, a far more reasonable way to go about it. But in God's love, he, he walks a fine line, and, and a fine and delicate line of, of how to go about that. Because you know, in one sense, to control people and take away their free will would, would not be love. We would consider a relationship where one individual is controlling to be unhealthy, and we would even call that abuse in itself. And so God, he lets us make our own choices, and unfortunately, we sometimes make terrible ones that massively, negatively impact others. But at the same time, because God is just, he does not let injustice go unnoticed, and he always eventually does something about it. You know, the Israelites are like, what is going on, God? The Edomites have been getting away with injustice for literally hundreds of years. Hundreds. If you loved us, surely you wouldn't have let this go on for this long. But God says, I have noticed. I have noticed, and I will do something about it in my timing. And I want you to hear the same. I want you to hear the same. You know, that doesn't negate the pain or the severity of what you have been through um, or what you have experienced, but whether in this life or in eternity, God will bring about justice. And in a few weeks, as a part of this series, we will hear how God has specifically done that and will do that in the future for all of us. But what I want you to know now as individuals is that he will bring about justice. And sometimes in the patience and in the waiting, God brings about reconciliation, second chances, and healing right here in this life. Now, I recognize I painted a pretty broad brush of injustice earlier, and the pain and trauma of what you have experienced may not be undone by reconciliation, so I'm not saying just reconcile things and it'll all be good, but God often brings reconciliation where he can, and justice for those where it's not possible. 
Remember, God is a God who understands. And so he knows where you are. He knows what you've been through. And he will respond in the specific, appropriate way to where you are. It may not be how and when we would like, but as God walks the delicate and fine line of love and justice, he will respond. He will respond. You know, I think of the story of Job where he loses absolutely everything, his family, his health, his wealth, it's all taken from him. And he begins to accuse God of not being just. And God responds by asking Job a whole bunch of questions about the universe and if Job understands how it all works. Essentially making the point of, look, Job, the universe is far more incredibly complex uh, than you could ever understand, and life is far more complex than you could understand. So you, you've just got to trust that when I bring about justice and I deal with evil, taking all things into account, I do it at the right time. I do it at the right time. And God doesn't actually tell Job um, when that will be for Job or why Job went through what he did, but God just asks Job to trust that he will do what is right. And eventually God does restore everything back to Job again. And so what I want us to know is that God loves us. He always has. He sees and understands where you are, and he will respond. He will respond. Maybe not in the time frame that we would prefer, but he will respond. This was true for the Israelites, and I believe it is also true for us. And so in the meantime, God has given us each other. That's why we're here. That's one of the reasons why church exists, so that we can love and support each other through the trials and difficulties of life. You know, if you have been treated un, un, uh, unjustly and it's really been weighing on you and it's been eating away at you, uh, then we have a great team here at Crossroads uh, with a great, great uh, system of pastoral care headed up by Joe. And uh, we are here and available to hear your story, support you through it, and connect you with the correct support when needed. For example, if you are a student here in the city and you're, and you're studying, uh, we re receive funding to help students um, uh, receive counselling. And so if that would be something that would be helpful to you, you can email me, Isaac at Crossroads.co.nz, or message me on Messenger, Isaac Peterson, or just come find me after the service and, and we can begin connecting you with that service. But just in general, if you come to talk to myself or Joe or one of the other pastors after the service, we will begin that journey of support with you, whatever that looks like, whatever we need to do, and connect you to the right people if we're not the appropriate ones to be continuing support. And so you can also contact Joe if you need to, joe at crossroads.co.nz, and she would love to connect with you and support you and, and just be there for you. That's part of why we're here is to support each other through tough times. But another way that we support and be there for one another is through our connect groups. Small groups of individuals that meet throughout the week to seek God together and care for one another. You know, they're a great way to get people around you who can love on you and support you wherever you are. And all the information about our connect groups can be found on our website, crossroads.co.nz forward slash connect groups. And if you find one that you'd be keen to check out, you can make a submission through the website and I'll connect you with that group as soon as I can. Or they're all advertised on our connect wall out in the foyer and you can come and talk to me after the service and I'll tell you more about them. Um, and, we, and we need more. We need more groups. So if you think, yeah, I could lead a group of people. I'd love to get together with a group that we can just care for each other, be there for each other, explore God's word together. Uh, then I'd love to talk to you as well because um, there's always room for more. You know, God will respond. But maybe in the meantime, the way he will respond is through using us to care for each other. And so let's utilize the community 
that is around us. It's one of the reasons why we are here, is to be there for each other and to support each other. You know, as I said earlier, through the prophet Malachi, God will and does have some specific things that he wants to address and call the people out on um, in the weeks to come. But first and foremost, he wants them to know that he loves them. He loves them, and he always has. It's the first thing he needs them to know. And he's willing to prove that to them because he understands why they ask the question they ask and why they have doubts. And so he says, this is how I love you. This is what I'm going to do to show that I have loved you. He is so good, and he is so faithful. And due to his consistent character, I'm confident he would say and feel the same thing about each and every one of us. And so as we begin this journey through the book of Malachi, that's simply where I want us to start, where God starts with the message that he has for the Israelites and the message that he has for you, that God loves you, he always has, he sees and understands where you are, and he will respond. You know, together as a church community, we will strive to live out these three questions and to fulfill our dream, but we aren't doing it to earn God's love. He already loves us, and sometimes it's good to just remind ourselves of that fact. Especially when there are things in life, you know, that can happen, that can make it harder to believe that. When things happen to us that weren't our fault, it can make it hard to to cling to that truth and to know that and to feel that. But wherever you are right now, whatever you've been through, God does love you. He always has. And he understands why you might have the questions that you do. And he will respond in time to what you've been through. In fact, he loves us so much that He went to extreme lengths to show us that thing. And so in a moment now, we're going to take some time to to share communion, which is the opportunity to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. God loves us so much, and he looked upon us and, and saw where we're at. And even though the messes we were in were the messes that humanity created for ourselves, he says, I love them so much, I will send my son to die for them, to take their place, as a sacrifice so that they can be reconnected with me, so I can have the relationship with them that I wanted to have with them from the start. And so Jesus, a man who had never done anything wrong, gave his life for people who had and overcame death and was able to say, you can overcome it too. And so we now take time where we remember that and we we drink the juice which resembles his blood that was poured out for us. We eat the bread which resembles his body being broken for us. And we remind ourselves of that incredible, huge, significant sacrifice that God made to make sure that we know that he loves us. And so let me just pray for us, and then we're going to share in communion. And then during worship, if if there's anything that we could be praying for you for, anything that you've been through that's been weighing on you that you feel like you need to share, there'll be some of us down here at the front that you can come down and we'll pray with you. But feel free to come find us after the service as well and and we can have a conversation. And if we'd like to be there for you, we'd like to support you. Um, That's the main thing that I want you to know is God loves you. He always has. He sees and understands where you are and he will respond. And so in return, let's, let's respond through remembering the sacrifice he made. God, we're so grateful for the time that we've had together this morning in your word. We're so grateful for even small books like Malachi that we often forget about and and how they speak to your character and who you are and your patience and your goodness and your kindness and your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you are so good to the Israelites, even though they hadn't really done anything to deserve that. And thank you that you are so good to us. I pray, Lord, that whatever we've been through, wherever we're at right now, that those truths would just permeate in our hearts, that we would come to know them, uh, that you would drown out the lies, that you would drown out the things that make it hard to believe that, Lord, and just make yourself so present and known, and that we would just be overwhelmed by your incredible love.
Thank you that your love went so far to send your son to die for us so we can be reconnected with you. We're so, so grateful for that sacrifice, Lord. And so now we take some time to remember that. Now we take some time to dwell on that, Lord. And I pray that your love would just be even evident to us through that too. And so we just give the rest of this morning to you as we continue to worship in a few different ways. And we pray these things in your name.